Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is already kind of a chilly fall day here in New England because apparently when we have Labor Day, someone flips a switch here and suddenly it's fall. And I don't really know how I feel about that, but I also know it's fall because my senior students and all of my colleagues' seniors are suddenly clamoring for our attention. And if you are a senior who has not really started thinking much about this process, now is the time. It is officially time. We've been telling you this for a while, but it is official. And you know how else I know it's official? Because I have Halloween candy in my house. I don't know if we're going to have trick-or-treaters this year. I have no idea what's going to happen, but we have candy. All right. Um, we Most of the show today is geared towards answering your questions. But before we get to your questions, um, I am excited to welcome my colleague, Lauren DiProspero. She is a former senior director of admissions at Stanford Medicine and also a former director of admissions at Columbia School of Medicine. Um, welcome, Lauren. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you may have guessed from my intro, today we're talking to Lauren about pre-med students. She's here to offer you guys some advice. Um, and so we have a lot of students who are thinking about maybe doing medical school. Um, maybe they are still in high school. A lot of our listeners are still in high school. Some may have are just about to head off to college or have recently headed off to college. Um, but when we were talking about what this segment, what would be a great idea for this segment, you brought up pre-med advising. And so um, I guess for students who are considering that pre-med path, what is your first piece of advice to those students? Yeah, well, my first piece of advice is to meet with a pre-med advisor on your campus. So every college has advisors that are dedicated to helping students um, interested in pre-professional paths. So that could be medicine, it could be dentistry, it could be law, it could be pharmacy, um, among other things, right? And these advisors are found in many different types of campuses, uh, of offices on campus, like academic dean's offices, they could be professors, it could be housed in career counseling. Um, and at many colleges, there's actually a, a whole office dedicated to these pathways. Sometimes it's called pre-professional advising. Sometimes it's called pre-health advising. Um, and if you're having a hard time figuring out where this is located on your campus, who that person or who that office might be, you can ask your academic advisor, your student service officer, um, your RA, an upperclassman, maybe another freshman. They should be able to point you in the right direction. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, one quick thing that I would add is for those of you who are investigating colleges, this is something you want to ask about before you potentially before you even apply, but certainly before you enroll. You want to learn more about how are you going to find that person? How are you going to get connected to them? Because um, based on what I'm hearing from you, Lauren, this is going to be a really important person in your life if your ultimate goal is medical school. Yeah, absolutely. And you can typically find all of this information on a forward-facing website. So if you are a senior or a junior in high school, even if you're a freshman, you can typically find this information and see how is this set up at the college. 
one way is not better than the other. Just because they have a health advising office doesn't mean that that's the right fit for you or mean that it's a great program. But just familiarize yourself with what they have available and what that structure looks like. Right. Um, and I think that's a good point. It's not necessarily going to look the same everywhere. And just because it's got a fancy title doesn't mean they're going to be more effective at helping you through this than somebody else, right? So yeah. asking questions. Okay. Um, what else? Is there um, a timeline of good times to touch to get in touch with your pre-med advisor, your, your, that person yeah. on the campus? Yeah. I mean, I think if you are a freshman, do this as early as possible because they can help you decide if this is a path that you want to go down, right? It can yes. help you decide what coursework to take, um, tell you about opportunities in the area um, and how they support students like you. So it's not just about curriculum planning, but what happens when you decide to, to you know, actually apply to college. And so you want to check in a few times over the years, you know, get on those listservs, make sure you're getting that information. And as you're approaching that junior year, making sure you're connecting more, especially if you're thinking about going to medical school right after college to find out what their processes are and what offerings they have to help support current applicants. And if you're a junior who's just discovered that you love medicine and that's the direction you want to go, they can help you figure out. Um, you know, maybe it's that you have to do a post-bac program or that you have to really double down on certain classes in your last two years. They can help you figure out your path wherever you are starting from. Got it. And so I do think a lot of pre-med students, um, we mentioned it in the past, but also because I just think it's where their brain is at. They're thinking, I'm going to get a job with a doctor and that's what my first focus is going to be on. Or I'm going to get a job in a lab doing research. Um and I'm, what I'm hearing is that actually more important than that is the pre-med advising, um, getting, making, making and maintaining that contact. So why that instead of the other, the doctor, the lab, that kind of thing? Yeah, there are a lot of steps to applying to medical school. And so certainly all of those things you mentioned are things that you should be doing. Maybe you can do them at the same time. But the pre-health advisor can help you come up with a thoughtful plan of how to move through this process in an authentic way, according to your interests and providing you um, access, not access, but I guess suggestions to mm -hmm. get the experience that you need, right? And then to even just start the inklings of, is this the right career for you? Yes. Right? So I know a student who met with her academic advisor early on, right, as a freshman, said, I want to be pre-med because that's what she thought you had to do as a college freshman. Like everybody's right. pre-med, right? Yep. Um, and so instead of reflecting on why the academic advisor heard that and said, okay, sign up for all of these prerequisite coursework for medical school, she very quickly realized she didn't want to be pre-med, but was stuck with these classes and kind of felt like she had a wasted you know, semester mm -hmm. these classes and not having really reflected on, hey, you know, maybe I really don't want to be pre-med or I want to explore something more. Um, and so obviously that curriculum is huge because if you do know it and it, you know, you need to get on top of these things to actually get them done by the time you graduate. Um, but there are also quirks in individual departments that these advisors could know about to help you get through that, right? If you're a biology uh, major and the chemistry department requires you take four classes to do orgo, you need to be planning for that. Yes. These, these advisors, both academic but also pre-med, know this and can help you navigate that, right? Right. And especially as a freshman, you're not going to know what opportunities are available to you off campus. You're not going to know how to connect with professors for research 
they can help you with that um, and help you with the timing, right? Does it make sense to take a gap year or two in between, which is very common these days. And so those conversations, those drop-in hours, workshops, appointments, all of that is really important in helping you determine, is this the right thing? And I think it all starts with a really good conversation with a pre-med advisor. Yeah, I, I, I almost wish that some high school students could have that conversation with the pre-med advisor yes. <laughs> before they arrived, because I will share that in the years that I've been doing this work, which we're going back to 2002 already, um, both when I was in admissions and certainly since I have come out and started doing this work, I meet so many bright students who are set on the medicine path and yet many of them don't end up actually taking that path. And I think the reason is if you're reasonably good in the sciences and you're very bright, um, the tendency is to look around and say, well, what could I do? Everybody respects doctors and I really love science. And so I could be a doctor and wouldn't that be great? I'd be helping people and I'd be making money because that's also it's and it's also all laid out for you. It's a clear path like First you do this, then you do this, then you become a doctor and your life is set. And we all know that life doesn't really work that way. And while certainly there are plenty of students who hold fast to that dream and, and achieve it, I do see lots of students changing their mind. Um, and so, you know, not that you can necessarily have that detailed conversation with the pre-med advisor before you get there, but I love that advice to at least have it when you're starting college because this is the start of where you really start to figure things out for yourself. And you may already think differently at 18 and a half than you did at 17 and a half or 18 or, you know, two months yeah. ago when you graduated from high school. Yeah. So and there are advice. so many jobs in the healthcare field. And, you know, in high school, you have such a prescribed curriculum. You feel like there are so many choices, but it's pretty prescribed. Like you yes. do X, Y, and Z. And when you get to college, there are so many different classes and different takes on the same subject that you might find something completely fascinating and go a completely different direction. Exactly. You just can't anticipate that in, in high school necessarily, but hopefully in listening to us, <laughs> you know that that's a possibility as well. So to keep your options open. Yeah. I mean, when my mom was in the hospital a few years ago, I just remember as we were going to the hospital every single day for two and a half months thinking, this is the worst life. I have no idea why anyone, thank God people want to do it, but I have no idea why they would want to do it. And sometimes I think people look at it as a profession without looking at everything that surrounds it. And certainly in the world we currently live in, you're literally, you are on the front line if you are in those professions. And it is wonderful that there are people who want to do it, but you do have to ask yourself, is this really what I want? Or is this just because I've checked three boxes and now everybody thinks this is what I should do. And I think it's what I should do, but it isn't right. actually what I should do. Right. Exactly. Any, um, what about if you've graduated, you didn't, you weren't on a pre-med track. You didn't meet with your pre-med advisor. Now you're a couple of years out of school. You've done other things. And suddenly you're saying to yourself, wow, I missed the boat. I, yeah. I actually really want to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, what can you do then once yeah. you're once you you're long out of college or a yeah. couple of years out? Or maybe you did it all on your own and you didn't meet with them, yes. right? Maybe you right. didn't have everything prepared. I still encourage you to reach out because they might be able to support 
students who have graduated from your college, right? They, they might have that alumni support there. So it never hurts to ask. And maybe they have other resources to send you to if they can't fully support you. Um, and they, if you are that student who discovers later, they can help you understand what are post-bac programs? Mm-hmm. What does this all look like if you want to be doing this alongside another career? Or what if you want to step out to be doing programs that will prepare you? Because no matter when it is that you decide that you want to become a doctor, it's a longer path than I want to become a doctor. I'm going to apply to medical school. There are a lot of things in between. Right. It's not quite the same as just going from high school to college. Exactly. Um, Any other last last, uh, thoughts here for those students who are entering college and and on that pre-med path? Yeah. So the other thing I would say is, you know, to do a little bit of soul searching before you get to that appointment with the pre-med advisor, um, even before you end up shadowing or however you choose to, to try and decide if this is the right field, right? You don't have to have that well-developed answer of why medicine, but some thought as to why you're interested can help an advisor, help a mentor direct you through this path. And so I think having some questions to ask them is also important right? Mm-hmm. About what's available on or off campus. What is required for medical school? What are the, some of the changes that have happened this year, you know, or yes. that you perceive happening as a result of COVID and the impact? It's not just undergraduate admissions that have been impacted. All admissions have been impacted. And it's been interesting to see what's happened in the medical school. Um, but even am I competitive for medical school, right? Once you get a few years under your belt, you have a few science classes, you've been doing a few things. Am I competitive? If I'm not, what should I do to Mm -hmm. become competitive? If there's nothing that's going to make me competitive, what are some alternatives I can think about that will fulfill this desire to to be in medicine and to be helping? Uh, So all of those questions are both good for you to think about and reflect on, but also to be talking to your pre-med advisor about, um, because that soul searching is just so important in this process to write that great application, to be prepared for that career, and then to be supported by whoever it is who's helping you through this process. Right. And it's so much education. The more soul searching you do before you invest all that time and money, um, only to come out the other side and say, wow. I really don't want to be a doctor. That's not good. You want to do yeah. soul searching early. <laughs> exactly. I sound like I'm anti-medicine or anti-doctor and I'm, I'm 100% yeah. not. What I am is a, aware that so many people set their sights on this mm-hmm. and then ultimately discover it's not really what they want. And so I'm, I, like yes. you, would encourage that soul searching just to make sure. You just yeah. want to be as sure as you can be. Yeah. So. It's checking in with yourself. And I think it's good no matter what you're doing. It just so happens that medicine is such a big commitment and yes. takes so many years that it's that much more important to be doing that earlier on. Exactly. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are going to be answering your questions. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. We just talked about bonding with your pre-med advisor when you get to college. Uh, And now we're going to be talking about you, where we're going to answer your questions. But before I get to your questions, or we get to your questions, and actually I should introduce Shannon Vasconcelos, who is my uh, colleague, also a former financial aid officer at BU and Tufts, and oh, just also happens to be a major media star these days, having recently (laughs) appeared on Good Morning America and the Today Show. Um, So if you're interested, you could check that out and see those clips. They should be posted on our website getintocollege.com. But believe it or not, back in February, we celebrated five years of this weekly podcast being on the air. And we are about to record shortly in a couple of weeks, our 300th episode. Um, And I should have come up with some interesting items of 300. But um, suffice to say, we're pretty impressed with ourselves. We've done 300 of these. um, And I hope that you have found that they've been really helpful to you. We actually got uh, support from a listener the other day who said she was removing us from her podcast list. But before we assumed that that was a bad thing, it was because (laughs) we had been super helpful as her daughter was applying to college. She listened religiously for two years, got a lot of really good advice that ended up um, with some really great results for her daughter, which was very exciting. So we are certainly sad to see her go, but hoping that... um, there will be a whole bunch of new people who start listening as a result. So thank you. So here is a celebration. I'm going to read it so that I don't get it wrong, but we're going to have another contest for our listeners Um, between now and October 20th. If you go and rate us on Apple podcasts, you're going to be entered in a raffle to win two free hours of either college counseling on the admission side or the college finance side. So you might be able to chat with Shannon who generally only talks to the hosts of places like Good Morning America and the Today Show. Um, And actually, I'm kidding. She talks to lots of people all the time about this very thing. Or an admissions person, probably one of the hosts. Could be me, could be Ian, could be Sally. Um, And so all you need to do is leave a rating and maybe a couple of kind words and you'll be entered. So we're going to randomly select a name and announce that on our October 29th episode. So I guess between now and October 29th, you need to put that in. Um, okay, Shannon. Hi, we have questions, hey. and we yes. want to get to them. So, Definitely. you have one for me. I sure do. There? Yes, okay. uh, this is from Christine, and it came in on our Facebook page. So, folks, if you do have questions, feel free to um, leave a comment or message us on Facebook, um, and we will try to get to them in an upcoming show. But Christine asks, um, running into a problem here where we would like to get November first due date early action apps in sooner via the common app 
but you have only two choices, test submission or none. Um, my son has an in-school test scheduled for early October, but lately the ACT results are running later um, than three weeks, and of course it might ultimately get canceled. Some schools say in their policy or on the app that once you pick test optional, they will not accept a late test score. Most don't say anything about late additions. One of the schools says they haven't decided yet if they will go test optional for merit aid. Seems unreasonable under these circumstances. What is your advice? All of this seems like the schools may be a bit out of touch with 2020's struggles. Yes. Well, Christine, I do not disagree with that, that there are schools that seem a little out of touch. You know, not to be apologetic, because I do think schools that haven't gone test optional, I don't think that's a good look. I don't think it's good for them. I also will say that not all schools, it's not under their control necessarily. So in the state of Florida, the Florida University Systems Board of Governors voted to still require testing. Um, and so if you are working for the university, your hands are tied. So the admissions offices may have really wanted to be test optional. And then the board of governors said, nope, we want to, we're going to require, I'm going to wade out of the political quagmire that is likely to be involved here and address more of your question. For starters, there's something really key that you said at the beginning of your question, which is that you would like to get November 1st due date early action apps in sooner. And what I will say is that that is not necessary. And in this situation is probably not something I would advise. I do think it's good to be pressing submit for a November 1 admission date sooner than the day of November 1. So a couple of days in advance in case there are any sort of technical glitches, I think is a good idea. But the, the idea that you would need to, and I, and I think you sent this in in August, that it would need to go in in September or you know this month or even early October is, I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's necessary. And, and like I said, I would advise against it this year for the reason that you're mentioning. What if um, you know in advance that his October test date is canceled? Well, now you know, okay, great, submit away. He's going to be test optional because he's not going to have the opportunity to take the test. Um, the other bad news that I have for you is that, well, not that that's bad news about not submitting early, but what I would say is that you probably want to place a call to each of these schools, especially if they're not clear. There definitely are some schools that have basically said either you are test optional or you're not test optional. So if you want the ability to see the score before you decide, which by the way, I would encourage you to take, I think that's the smart path, then um, you, I would hold off on sending that application to the schools that make you choose one way or the other until the last minute. And then I would, but I would also give, put a call into each of the schools. Presumably he's hopefully applying to a reasonable list of schools, maybe eight to 12 schools at, at the most. And in which case he could call or you mom could call and just get some clarification. What are their rules? Because they may say, oh, it's fine. If he's able to test in October, great. Then we'll expect to see test scores and, you know, when you get him, send him along. And if he's not able to test, then I guess he'll go test optional. Or you could submit his test optional and then change the status. Because it's done differently at every school, I really do feel in this case, like you're probably going to have to make a call to every school unless it's very, very clearly laid out on their websites. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. 
Um, Shannon, I have one for you. And this comes to us from Dorsey. Also, well, this is via our website, actually. Um, and the question asks, will the pension con contributions required by my employer be added to our adjusted family income and used in the FAFSA or CSS profile? I will not have the ability to access any of the pension contributions as income until my youngest is almost finished with college. Thank you. Uh, so short and sweet answer is yes. Um, you will have to report those pension contributions or for folks who have 401ks, uh, 403bs, all of those kinds of contributions to uh, employer-sponsored retirement plans. You do have to report on the FAFSA and the profile. They will ask you for those. Um, and it's essentially the, the reasoning behind it is they are um, part of your income and you may choose to contribute part of that income to a retirement plan or in Dorsey's case, required to contribute part yeah. of that income to their retirement plan. Um, in, in any and all cases, it's still considered part of your income. So you will see a question about those contributions to retirement plans or pension plans on both the FAFSA and uh, the profile and whether or not you have access to it immediately, they still want it reported. And that's kind of pretty much across the board. We also see it in cases where students are beneficiaries of trust funds and they don't get access to the trust fund until maybe age 30. They still have to report those trust funds as an asset, um, which often families don't like that. Um, but if you ask a financial aid office, they will say that, you know, eventually you will get access to that money. And that does put you in a better position than somebody else who will never have access to such money. So a few years down the line, you can get access to those uh, pension contributions. And then theoretically, you could borrow student loans to pay for college and then later pay them back with that money that you contributed to your pension. So uh, that's the longer answer. Short and sweet answer is yes, you have to you have to report them. And there will be instructions on the FAFSA directing you uh, where to find the exact numbers you need to report, likely looking at box 12 on your W-2 form. Uh, and there are various codes you might find there, but it does spell it out pretty clearly on uh, the FAFSA form as well as the profile. Uh, but short, short and sweet is yes, you do have to report them. All right. Okay. And the next admissions question came in from Michelle, also on our website. So you can submit questions there as well, folks. Get into college.com. Um, if my ACT composite score is slightly above the college's average, but my math score is less than their average, and I'm applying as a business major, should I submit my ACT score? The colleges I'm applying to have a 45% acceptance rate. Thank you. Tricky question, Michelle. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, there are, if the composite is above the college's average, so here's what I'm not sure. Is it above their, you know, is it totally above the middle 50%? So the middle 50% have a 28 to a 32 and the composite you have is a 33? Um, okay, that's interesting. If the math score is less than their average, but I'm sorry, if really their middle 50% is a 28 to a 32 and you have a 31, it's above the midpoint of the middle 50%. It's still in the middle 50%. It's a little tricky without the exact numbers in front of me, but I would say in general, 
my advice, our advice is usually if you are in in the upper half of the middle 50% or higher, that's not, it's not a bad thing to submit your score. What makes it a little tricky is you're applying as a business major. Sometimes, although not always, sometimes the business programs are more selective than the school as a whole. So while the school as a whole may be admitting 45% of their applicant pool, it's possible that business is more like 30% or 25% or possibly less, depending on the size of the program. So in that case it may not be in your best interest to submit that test score because um, they're going to be paying very close attention to your math performance. So here is another wrinkle that I would say. If you are a stellar math student, if you have taken calculus, if you, are, if you have traditionally always done well in math and your grades in math are very strong, if you have an AP score in math, for example, um, that you could report on your application. That's go- great, which I would uh, identify that as a four or a five. Um, so if you maybe took a subject test, I mean, I don't know who has, was able to take subject tests this year, but let's just say for argument's <laughs> sake, you were able to take a subject test and you had a good score in that, then I would be a whole lot less sco- uh, concerned about a subscore on the ACT. But if traditionally math is not your best subject, if you already are kind of barely hanging on to a low A, B, high B, or even a regular B, and then your testing in that area is low, there might be an argument that you wouldn't submit. But here's what I'm going to suggest that you do. I'm going to suggest that you actually call every school and ask. Um, they're not going to record it and say, ooh, this student called and this is what she has on her test and her math score is low and put it in the file. That is not going to happen. What they are generally going to be willing to do is give you some advice. Here's my score. You know, here's the composite. Here's the math score. I'm applying to business. What do you think? And they can give you an opinion. Uh, and I would take them at their word. They're, they're not trying to trick you. They're generally going to be pretty straightforward with you. Um, so, uh, again, tricky. isn't There really isn't a straightforward answer on this one. But um, I, I do think that uh, if you can kind of evaluate your performance in math in general and make the call that way. But you also probably not a bad idea to call the school directly. Yeah. So. Oh, so right. many variables. This I is why, why we stay employed, I guess. It is exactly <laughs> These it. questions are not easy. All right, Shannon, I have one more for you before we go to the break. And this comes to us from Maria who says, my oldest child graduated college in May. When do they need to start paying back their student loans? Yeah. So under normal circumstances, if you graduate in May um, with most student loans, um, certainly the government um, direct Stafford loan program, which is what most people are borrowing from that program, you have a six month grace period, you would enter repayment in November, six months from whatever your grad date was. Uh, We're living in a funky year, of course, in in more ways than one, in a lot yes. of ways. Um, but this year, it will not be until, assuming we're talking about federal student loans, it will not be till after the new year. Um, the CARES Act that Congress passed in the spring um, gave every student loan borrower a, um, a forbearance on their loans, so they don't have to make any payments, um, and nor do the loans accrue any interest. So you can take that forbearance without it hurting you at all. You're not accruing any interest at all. Um, the initial CARES Act um, granted that forbearance until the end of September, and then President Trump just signed an executive order, which extended that 
interest-free forbearance until the end of the year, until December 31st. So nobody has to make any payments on any student loans until after uh, December 31st, as it currently stands. We don't know if there'll be more legislative action that could possibly extend things. Uh, but as of right now, it's after December 31st, you'll have payments start coming due. If your child is unemployed and may find difficulty, it may be difficult to make payments still at that point, because of course, it's not a great job market right now. Um, you can always, you know, the, they were, we were all granted a forbearance kind of automatically until December 31st, but you can always request a deferment on your student loans. It's called economic hardship deferment if you're unemployed or um, there are other types of forbearances. So talk to your student loan servicer if you are still, if you're not able to make payments after December 31st. Um, if you are able to make payments, you can, even though everyone's been granted a forbearance, you can voluntarily make payments right now. So if your child is employed and perfectly able to make payments, you can do that right now. If you want to, you just have to, again, reach out to your loan servicer. Right. And if you can make payments, why wouldn't you right now, right? So <laughs> do it up. And I would say the only caveat to that and why some people might not want to is if there are other things, because those loans aren't accruing interest, if you have like credit card debt that is accruing interest, oh, maybe yeah, take all that extra money, stick it towards the credit card or building up an emergency fund. There could be other things to do with it. But yeah, if you don't have any other um, uh, debt that's costing you money, yeah. Just get rid of those student loans. Start getting rid of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're getting back to your question. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back and we're answering your questions. I'm here with Shannon Vasconcellos. And Shannon, I think you have a question for me. So why don't we jump right back in? I sure do. This one was also submitted through our Facebook page. Um, do target level schools often admit students to their second choice major if their first choice is impacted? Uh, and I'm sure you'll have to explain what that means to the listeners out there. Um, or does it depend on some things? For example, size of the institution, if the student is full pay, if it's a private versus public school, etc. Okay, so that impacted language makes me think immediately of the UC system. And yeah. um, the answer to this question, Christine, as the answer is to many, uh -oh. many, oh, many can questions. I guess that? Is, can I guess? It depends. It. it depends. <laughs> it depends. In general, what I would say is that 
when you select a major on your application, you're not really declaring your major. What you're doing is you're telling the college, this is what I think I'm going to major in. And most schools are going to give you a year, two years before you're actually going to need to select your major. Now, is it true that at some schools you may need to select an actual school at the school at the college to apply to? So at Penn, where I worked, it was Wharton, it was the College of Arts and Sciences, it was engineering, it was nursing, and you needed to select one of those four schools. And then within those schools, you could select an intended major or concentration, but you weren't actually declaring it and you weren't admitted to that major per se. Um, you, but you were, however, admitted to one of those four schools, and that was your only choice. There are colleges who have a number of schools who might give you a second choice. Syracuse comes to mind. So at Syracuse, you pick a school to apply to, and then they ask you, and I actually believe they give you two additional choices. Um, if you're not admitted to this school here at Syracuse, what is another school you might be interested in? And then you can also select a third. So in all of these cases, it's not the major, but the school. And within the school, of course, will be certain majors. So you wouldn't apply to engineering if you wanted to be an English major. Um, and by the same token, you would not apply to, to be an English major in the College of Arts and Sciences if you actually wanted to be an engineer. Um, but what I find is that most schools don't admit by major unless they are, unless it's a very narrow major. So nursing is one of those where it's, that's your major. In a lot of schools, you need to start as a nursing major. Physical therapy is another one that comes to mind. Engineering, but within engineering, you might go in many different directions and you often don't need to declare what direction. You just need to apply directly to engineering, whether it's a separate school or it's not. Um, but you're, you know, you're generally not going to be admitted by major so much as you are going to just be admitted to the school that you're interested in. Now, why would you um, identify a specific major? Well, if you really have no idea what you want to study and the school allows it, which most do, I don't know. I would go undecided. I find that there is no benefit to selecting a major just so that you can put something down. Um, but the other reason might be because you actually do really have a good sense of what you want to major in and um, that is supported by your performance in school. So a, a few minutes ago, I answered a question about a student applying to a business program with a less than stellar math score on a standardized test. But one of the things I talked about was, well, how did you do in math in general? And so if you are selecting, oh, I want to major in, I want to apply to this business school, or I want to major in business, if that's an option at this college, what they're going to do is take a closer look at things like your math performance, because that's going to tell them how prepared you are to do well in their program. Um, by the same token, if you're going to apply as an English major, it's not that your math and performance will be unimportant, but it's not going to shine a spotlight on it in the same way that applying to be an engineer or a business major might. So again, if you're doing well in the classes related to your major, and this is an area that you're you're really interested in and you think you are going to pursue when you get to college, then it's great to put down a selected major. But um, you know the, the places that I know of where it's going to be harder it would be maybe in a UC where the major is impacted, meaning they've got so many students already doing that major that it's going to be really hard to get the classes that you are interested in. 
And therefore it is going to make it maybe a little bit more difficult to get in. But um, the vast majority, I shouldn't even say the vast majority. I'm just going to say it really does depend. And so again, you're going to need to look on what the, at what the school says. They may ask you, oh, do you have a second or a third area of interest um, just so they're aware of all the different areas you're going to be interested in, but it may not impact admissions at all. And if it's unclear, it's a call to the admissions office to ask that question. If you can't, if you search for it on the website and you don't get any answer. Um, right. So hopefully that's helpful, but I, I would say that it, it does depend. You asked, does it depend on things like the size? <laughs> and it doesn't depend on full pay or financial aid, though. That is not something that schools are looking at when they're considering a student for a major. It may be something that they look at in terms, in general terms of admission, um, but it's not anything to do with, they're not linking major choice with whether or not you need financial aid. That's definitely not happening. And I think, Shannon, you could break, you could back me up there. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Shannon, this next question comes to us from Tina. My son is a senior who will be applying to college in a few months. He hasn't been able to take the SAT yet, but I think that's okay because all of the colleges on his list are now test optional. I'm not sure about scholarships though. Will he be considered for scholarships without SAT scores? And I would just add, you didn't say it, Tina, but ACT would suffice here as well. Not that it's any easier to take, but I always want to be clear. (laughs) SAT or ACT, all colleges are taking both of them. Right. Yeah. Um, so as usual, the answer is it, it, it could depend, I, mm-hmm. I guess, is how I, I would put it. Um, if you're looking at, and I have been for lots of families, looking at college websites lately, checking out if their scholarship requirements have changed. Um, because many, particularly the large state university system, very often used SAT or ACT scores as a primary factor in the awarding of their scholarships. Uh, If you start looking at schools now, you will see that many schools have uh, removed that from their scholarship requirements, um, understanding that students are uh, having a whole lot of difficulty getting into a test these days. Um, So I would check the websites of all the schools uh, on your child's list to see what the websites say now. So many schools have removed it from their requirements. Um, I have seen other schools that just kind of have a little note on their scholarship page that says their scholarship requirements are currently under review and please check back later, um, presumably because they are trying to figure out this very issue. If can they do they want to still require test scores for scholarships? If not, what are they going to look at to determine scholarship eligibility? Uh, and then some websites have not changed and it's questionable what that lack of a change means. Are they sticking with test scores? Are they digging their heels in uh, as requirements for their scholarships? Or have they just not updated their website? Um, And I, my educated guess is to a large extent, they just haven't updated the website yet. They're still in these discussions. They're still trying to figure it out. Um, If you see that on on a website still requiring uh, SAT scores or ACT scores, um, but there may be some schools that are digging their heels in, like the Florida system, who's still requiring them all together for, right. for even for admission. Um, there, 
will likely be a few schools like that that might not budge. I think most schools will move away from them even for scholarships, but maybe not all. Um, so what I would do is check the websites. Hopefully you will see there that the test score requirement is gone. Um, but if you still see a test score requirement, um, like a lot of the advice today, I think I'd give a call to the school to see what the situation is. Have they decided for sure that they're sticking with the test scores um, or is it still under discussion and that's likely to change school, change soon. So I yeah. think check the websites. Hopefully you'll get see good news there. But if not, I'd call the school and find out what the situation is. Because I think a lot of schools are just in a state of flux about this right now and uh, in the process of making those decisions. Yeah, I know that what we're hearing from some of these schools is if they've gone test optional for admissions, um, then they're saying we're going to apply the same. We are shifting how we're doing admissions and we're going to yeah. just do the same thing for merit. Yeah. And it is hard to imagine if you are not requiring test scores because you know how difficult it is to test that you could then continue to require them for merit. It doesn't compute. And it really doesn't. um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, I think the other thing, and I am having worked in an admissions office, I get it. You may not have the staff to suddenly, you're trying to figure out how are we going to get through all of these applications we used to have an easier way to sort through them. Um, and this is for schools where maybe it's not as holistic a process where right. it is largely driven by numbers. In essence, what they're doing is you've taken away one half of the quantitative side, yeah. right? That you're used to being able to use. And what does that mean? And do you need a few more readers now to help you parse mm-hmm. through it? Or right. can you just kind of go with the rigor and the the grades and call it a day? And I, that's what they're trying to figure out. And then of course, exactly. are they going to be allowed? Um, right. As in the case of Florida. But at least there's consistency, right? You're, <laughs> right, exactly, you, yeah. You, you need test scores for both. They're consistent. <laughs> right. I mean, they're wrong, but they're consistent. <laughs> at least, you know, we'll, we can give them some little thing there. All right. Yeah, Let's so then, on. yeah, the, <laughs> before you get yourself in trouble, Beth, with yeah, the exactly. state of Florida. <laughs> Exactly. They're going to put you a picture of you on the border and say, don't let this woman in. No, they are. <laughs> but I do feel for the colleges because they have not, right. everyone's, I see a lot of, I have seen, not, I haven't seen it lately, but there's a lot of university bashing. And I know the people at the university doing this work are like, we want to be test optional and we just can't be. And that's yep. hard. So it is. All right. Sure. Okay. Next question. Um, do colleges still care about demonstrated interest under COVID-19? Do they still care? I would say they care more than they have ever cared before (laughs) in, you know, and so let me back up demonstrated interest for those of you who are new to the podcast or have listened a couple of times, but not heard this term come up. Demonstrated interest is simply um, showing a college that you're interested in them by doing some different things. So engaging with the college. The quick and dirty, easiest way to show interest, um, although can be quite expensive, is visiting, right? Well, guess what you can't do right now for most schools? <laughs> you can't visit. Right. And um, even if you could, for some students, it's really not going to be viable. Maybe their parent is um, immunocompromised. Maybe the student is immunocompromised. Maybe mm-hmm. they just aren't comfortable, which, by the way, is a fully, fully uh acceptable reason why you wouldn't set foot on a college campus right now, even if they are open. Um, 
But because that's so important to the colleges, the reason they care is because their research, their data shows that year over year, the students who have demonstrated interest in the college are those that are more likely to accept their offer of admission. So if you have two students with very similar profiles, both excellent, both potentially great contributors to your community, and you've never had one connection with this student before their application landed on your desk, versus another student who maybe visited, who also attended a school meeting when the, when the counselor visited the high school, who maybe also is on the email list and has opened up emails and clicked links in those emails. Well, that student seems way more engaged with you and um, more likely to want you. And so th that's the student you're going to take. So how can you demonstrate interest in this day and age? Well, obviously let go of the idea of visiting. However, colleges these days are doing, they may have a virtual tour on their website, but they may be actually doing guided virtual tours. And in fact, mm. my son and I did one just the other day with Pitt. Um, he had to register in advance. They had his name. Then he had to log in. We had to show up. So they had a record that we were there. We stayed for the whole um, tour because we were interested. He asked some questions. Um, he is now on the mailing list. He's getting emails. And because it's a school he's interested in, he's opening them up. He's clicking links within them. Um, he, if his school does virtual school visits, so some uh, admissions officers are virtually visiting high schools. If you can join those, that can be a great way to connect with the school and make for some meaningful demonstrated interest. Um, so these are all ways in which you can follow a school on social media. Maybe they're on Instagram, maybe they're on Facebook, maybe they're on TikTok, maybe they're on Snapchat, <laughs> whatever platforms you are on, you can follow and see what's important, what's going on at the school. Um, these are all ways in which you can show demonstrated interest. And I would say that this year it is more important than it has ever been, literally ever, ever in the past has been, would be to show interest. The greatest interest you could probably show would be to apply early decision if the school has that, which is a binding program. Um, this is not going to be an option for everyone because you are committing financially to a school and you're also you're losing the opportunity to compare offers from different institutions. But if early decision is something that is a possibility for you, personally, I feel like this is the, the year of early decision and because of the uncertainty, I think we're going to see colleges really bending over backwards to see, can we take this kid? Because if they admit you, you are committing to attend. So it's a nice 100% yield for the college. So that's something that, um, again, I can't recommend it for everyone. It's not going to be an option for me. But um, if it is an option for you, just something to be aware of that strategically, it's, it could be to your advantage. If you have never visited if you are not positive that it really is your top choice, well, then that's not such a great idea. So, um, all right, Shannon, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. And um, we got to a few of your questions and then I just talked too much. And so you'll have to come back and we'll do some more. Uh, I suppose I will. In Next month, months. I will see you. <laughs> all right, that sounds good. Um, if you have questions for us, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Or you can shoot us a note on Facebook. You can place, uh, you could send us a question through our website. Um, if you are interested in learning more about any of these topics, we typically blog about them. So look at our blog, blog.getintocollege.com. Uh, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.